Welcome to Making Waves, a show about sound art, produced by New Adventures in Sound Art for WGXC Wave Farm. Last month we featured Banlisher Carcano and its member Michael Waterman, uh, who's been uh, at NASA in the early part of January to create the Songs of Ice installation, along with his collaborator Jesse Stewart. And Songs of Ice, uh, you hear some of that clinking ice in the background from uh, the outdoor part of the piece. And uh, also, uh, at the opening of the show, I heard a little snippet from uh, uh, the performance of Manisher Kukano during Art's birthday, which was on January 17th. Uh, that Mesa hosted, and uh, we through the show we're going to mix uh, in the background sounds from the Songs of Ice installation along with the uh, Manlikshire Kakano performance. On top of all that, in the foreground, we'll have Michael Waterman talking in a discussion with me about his work, um, giving some background to the radio and transmission uh, work that he has done uh, for installations and. Uh, and site-specific works that he's made in the past. Manlisher Kukano is a uh, performance collective that he's a part of that uh, performs uh, weekly on community radio in St. John's, Newfoundland. And they are uh, comprised of members in uh, various parts of the U.S. and Canada and uh, Europe. Uh, and they uh, came together for Ernst's birthday, streaming uh, sounds in and uh, mix, remixing them on the fly. And uh, incorporated into that mix, of course, were sounds from Songs of Ice. And I should mention the Songs of Ice is a two-site installation. Uh, there's an outdoor component that's a geodesic dome, and uh, inside the dome are uh, kind of uh, bars of ice that uh, kind of comprise a kind of ice marimba and uh, that kind of wraps around the interior of the dome. And then inside NASA is uh, a set of uh, IV bags that uh, drip uh, frozen water or that uh, that thaw and drip uh, over the course of the time. And uh, and then these two sounds are kind of mixed together. They both have a kind of wireless relay that sends one to the other and back again. And so people can collaborate uh, indoors and outdoors uh, in their uh, listening and experimentation. Well, um, actually, Distant Radio or was a um, proposal that I, I sent to uh, NASA. I never really it what it was already an adaptation of an, an earlier installation that I did called. Um, radio Flat Earth. Um, it was the, the one and only time I used the, the geodesic dome. And that was a residency at the Museum of the Flat Earth on Fogo Island, which is a kind of a, um, a conceptual um, museum um, and arts organization that uh, um, kind of challenges 
you know, our kind of commonly held notions about the authority of the museum. So, um, and not not to be confused with some of the serious people, who, the flat earthers that that that. Um, that are genuinely believe the world is flat. They, 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 the, the Museum of the Flat Earth is just um, uh, uh, is, is, is more akin to the Museum of Jurassic Technology in, in uh, Los Angeles, um, which is which is it, it is plain with the um, the whole museological um, aesthetic um, of, in a kind of a conceptual art project, I guess. Um, but uh, um, this, the Museum of the Flat Earth also has a residency program, a, a themed one, each year, and they invite three or four re uh, artists and residents to work on projects that are somewhat related to both the Museum of the Flat Earth and to the theme. <coughs> and so, the uh, I think it was 19 or 2017, um, um, I was invited to be one of the resident artists um, and to work on the theme of, of the, the, the subject was the great auk, um, the, um, the bird that went extinct, the kind of the northern relative of the, of the um, penguin um, that went extinct from over hunting, basically, from, um, back in the, uh, over hundred years ago. Um, and one of the last places they were they were known to exist was on um, Funk Island, I think it was, just off of, of, of um, Fogo Island, where, where the, uh, this museum is. And so um, our, the visiting artists were encouraged to um, create works that somehow um, uh, continued on the mythology that the Museum of the Flat Earth was had created uh, to address perhaps alternative stories about um, the, um, the, the extinction of the, of, the, of the Great Auk, or at least just address the Great Auk in, in some way. And so I proposed um, to create a radio station um, um, and um, under the alter ego of Professor Porter Hall to conduct experiments that would, uh, using radio, um, radio transmissions and um, my divining receiver to try to communicate to inhabitants on the other side of the flat earth, of which Professor Porter all proposed the, the great ox, they hadn't gone extinct, they had just gone to the other side of the flat earth and weren't able to uh, communicate with with us on this on this side of the flat earth anymore. And so uh, it was a very elaborate project, um, but essentially it was an experiment. Um, it was a radio station that he set up in the, in the, in the, out in the, um, um, uh, the barrens of Fogo Island, um, but in a fairly prominent location. Um, uh, and he, uh, he, each day he had broadcasts um, from noon until two, I guess, uh, sending transmissions hopefully out um, to the other side of the flat earth. Um, and then in the evenings from, from, from sunset, for a couple of hours, he would receive signals back, um, and they would be broadcast also. So um, anybody could tune in to these experiments uh, that was within radius of the transmission transmitter. And um, <clears throat> so, I built for that. I built a, uh, a geodesic dome and uh, 30 foot. Uh, I think it was a 30 foot um, tower transmission tower, and um, I. Um, or at least my alter ego, Porter Hall, um, 
uh, would would be in the studio during the broadcast time in this dome during broadcast times and people if they wished could trek out into the into the the wastelands essentially uh, to this this site and, and experience what he was doing or they could tune in on radio uh, from the comfort of their car or <laughs> or home and it, did it reach other islands uh, beyond Fogo Island? Transmission itself, um, uh, it covered most of the northern part of Fogo Island and the uh, the ocean beyond, of which uh, Fogo Island, w or the Funk Island was in roughly that area. And it also, one of the four corners of the flat earth is Brimstone Head, has been declared Brimstone Head, which is in the northern part of Fogo Island. And that, that is the reason, one of the reasons why the Museum of Flat Earth decided to set up um, in that location because it's close to this previously declared um, uh, corners of the flat earth. We should also explain to listeners this is uh, Newfoundland we're talking about. This is. It's uh, the easternmost part of North America. So it's, it's one of the many islands that are off of the bigger island. So to get from <clears throat> that um, um, radio flat Earth to to uh, to um, songs of ice. Um, the, uh, NASA a couple years ago had a call out for remote uh, pro pro um, projects to, uh, addressing the remoteness. I guess it was off the beaten track, and so I proposed a, a means by which I could re-show the radio station that I'd built for the the residency at the Museum of the Flat Earth, in which I would set up uh, the the dome and the tower in a remote location near South River, um, ideally on an island or on a hilltop. Um, this was before I'd really scouted out the location and realized that there would have been certainly challenges um, to to that um, project also. But I did like the idea of, and when I made this station before, it was, I actually had about a, um, uh, um, it was about a kilometer of, of cable running out to it. I'd wanted it to be uh, completely off the grid on a solar powered, but um, there were so many other technical uh, issues involved with getting it that I didn't quite make, you know. And also I was running quite a lot of power in the radio station. There were a lot of um, 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 components that required a lot of... Um, <coughs> required in the end that I have that I have uh, a power running to it, even though it meant going through a culvert under the highway and <laughs> off into up a hill, kind of. Um, for the proposal uh, for that I had I had created for NASA originally, I wanted it to be solar powered, um, and it w again a, a kind of a, a, a something that people could see um, from a distance and be intrigued, but really be very hard for them to actually. Um, come and visit and s with the idea that they would be forced to tune into it to try to understand what was going on. So it was a way of drawing people to the medium of radio, uh, you know, in a nutshell. Um, um, and, uh, but, you know, by, by making the physical, you know, journey to it um, very difficult, if not impossible. Um, but, and, but then, you know, through a lot of... Um, a number of life circumstances I ended up leaving, m moving away from Newfoundland and uh, I, w by the time I was ready to do something for NASA that th that, that uh, annual theme had, 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 had um, um, come and gone and uh, we had moved into the theme of transformation and also the ideal time for me to do something at NASA was in the winter and so I started thinking about what could I do um, with the dome and at the time also the tower. I think like this, this, this 
um, project that I'd used before in the context of, of um, Na uh, South River and NASA in the winter time. And uh, right around the time I was mulling around those ideas, I saw uh, Jesse Stewart's, an installation at the um, Ottawa Art Gallery, uh, um, including a video by uh, art local artist Jess Jesse Stewart. Uh, where he had um, <coughs> created um, a, a, an ice xylophone, I guess, or ice, I, uh, that's probably, he wouldn't call it a xylophone, um, an ice instrument um, that is that, is, that uh, has pitched um, bars of ice that were played by a group of people, and it was I was enchanted by it, and um, I had done work with other, uh, a similar work with, um, um, with stones. I'd been collecting pitched stones and, and made um, um, lithophones with them and so I could I could imagine doing it with ice also and uh, so I, I approached Jesse and asked if he would be interested in collaborating with me on uh, the project uh, um, that became Songs of Ice and uh, that's how that's how it started you know how it kind of came into being so th I, th in the end, um, while we maintained a transmission component to the project, we dispensed with the, uh, with the uh, transmission tower. Um, and it wasn't so much, it, it no longer really became a piece that was broadcast by, by pirate radio into the community, um, but rather um, a kind of a uh, two components, one indoors and one outdoors that transmitted to each other so that they were linked through um, wireless transmission. Outside there was still the geodesic dome, but within it um, uh, was housed, or is housed, um, um, uh, how many how many bars of ice would there be in it? Um, uh, 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 really a, a structure that that contains maybe, maybe, you know, 50 bars of ice and uh, it's got, it had its lighting in it, and it has a means, and people, the audience can come into the space and and move around and, and play the the ice sounds, which have a really nice um, kind of almost like a chime-like quality, although that doesn't describe it either, but it, all of them do sound a bit like wind chimes. Yeah, I kind of think of it as manual wind chimes. Yes. Wind chimes that you play. As with the lithophones that I've made in the past, I wasn't too concerned about um, a scale, um, um, uh, you know, like a specific pitch. Is as long as they all, like a wind chime, they all had there was a there was a multitude of pitches. That the more the more that are being hit at the same time, the more multi-pitched um, quality that it will have. Included in the, these these um, bars of ice, there are three or four bars that have embedded um, homemade hydrophones, the microphones that are embedded in them that are, are um, sent, the, the sounds are sent um, via uh, this wireless transmission in, inside, in, uh, inside of Mesa. Also there are a couple of other microphones in the space that are picking up the, the whole sound. And um, <coughs> in, inside, we are continuing with the theme of ice, we have um, 12 bags, IV bags that are uh, uh, containing frozen water that are slowly melting and as they do they, they drip onto um, stainless steel mixing bowls that have contact mics um, attached to them and uh, the mics are 
go into an eight-channel system that are a, a sound system that are that is surrounding the installation, so that um, so that the different pitches again of the, the different um, balls, um, the mics on the different balls with the drips coming onto them, um, become a, uh, yet an, another sound component. Um, the idea is that the mix of the the sound mix of the installation inside is fed via wireless transmission to a through a speaker that is inside of the geodesic dome outside, and likewise the sounds that are outside are going are being fed back into the inside the gallery and um, being added to the sounds of the dripping I IV bags. So um, that about describes it, I think. Um, I don't know whether there's anything I've missed. Uh, no, but maybe, um, I mean, this has set up a different type of use of radio as far as a kind of um, two-way communication or joining spaces, a kind of almost more like telematic performance experience or, uh, well, or interactive experience, um, which reminds me a bit of um, that telematics is something that's happens in your work a lot with the uh, Manlisher Kirkano, where um, you know multiple uh, people are uh, jamming together through any available means of linking up that may not be traditional radio but are, are um, but imply this uh, joining of, of uh, forces that are uh, not connected in the physical world but in real time. Yes, yes, of course. My interest in radio probably originates with my work with uh, longtime audio collage ensemble Manlisher Carcano. We started out as a kind of a performance art group in the mid-80s um, in Winnipeg, um, and uh, we would do improvised performances with an array of things that were making sound, everything from broken-down turntables and, and ghetto blasters to actually stainless steel mixing poles <laughs> and uh, whatnot. Um, but, uh, and then we moved to different cities uh, and uh, for, about, uh, for, for about five years we were quite experimental in ways we could continue collaborating um, um, while bridging the distance that we, all, we were all in different cities. And then um, about by mid-90s I uh, discovered Campus Community Radio and um, started the Manisher Carcano Radio Hour, uh, which was a way in which we could collaborate again from um, from different cities on an impro a weekly improvised radio show, and it's been going on ever since the mid '80s. So it's now in its it's uh, over 25 years anyway. I'm not sure actually. Uh, and how is the sounds and the sound exploration that the group has done from? How has it been changed by the remote connections from, from, from its origins? In a number of ways. For one thing, in the early days, we were really more uh, we were we were focused on the performance. So we were there were elements like costumes and sets and things that were we were equally and visual like projections and and all kinds of visual components that um, uh, ceased to really be something that we could explore when, when we were on radio. Um, but we did, we were, new things came along, like the way we connected over the radio. You know, it started off in the early days before there were even computers in the radio station. We would um, link up using the on-air phone and, the, um, and uh, uh, a conference call. Um, and uh, so we, would, we were just calling over the phone lines. Um, though there, were, there was a device called the Teletour device that we had that um, 
the negative land actually created um, in which you could enhance the signal you send over the phone line. So we were kind of conscious of that. But um, and then over the and then of course Skype came along. Computers came into the station, and then then um, then Skype and the, and um, we've we've moved on. Uh, I think it's Google Hangouts these days that we, we mostly connect via. Um, but we've but um, yes, it's been it was telematic performances ever since we started in the 90s. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and so that was an interesting thing to explore. The other thing is radio itself became very increasingly interesting to me as a, as a kind of an art form, not only as a means of uh, being creative with the content, but as a, a physical yet invisible kind of um, medium. Recent years, in the last 10 years or so, I've been doing a lot of... Um, of experimenting with the with the physical with the phenomenon of radio, um, I've done a number of um, um, art projects similar to my project on Fogo Island, where I used radio as as a, um, as a means of addressing the, the issues that, uh, on hand. Um, uh, as in Songs of Ice, I've I've used two transmitters w whereby I could send. A transmission to another transmitter, and you know, s uh, and I've been interested in, in kind of almost like I'm mapping this invisible range and how they inter they. And I've done that too. I've done radio where I've then I've gone on walks where I've mapped the range and then created the, these maps of these strange shapes that have emerged. They're usually not a nice neat circle, but but you know they're affected by the by you know the terrain and by interference from other radio um, frequencies. I did it, I remember I did one of these maps when I was broadcasting in, in Halifax and um, the actual range resembled closely uh, a lamb shank. <laughs> and um, likewise, you know, <laughs> you know, I've done on Pictou Island, I did, a, I did a project as part of a walking residency where I made a, a mobile radio station that was, um, the, 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 there was a 15-foot radio tower that was attached to a, 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 a kind of a baby buggy that I pushed along this the along the length of, of Pictou Island in Nova Scotia each day and um, they would be um, simultaneously broadcasting fr from this this um, from this mobile ra radio transmitter but also interviewing anybody who stopped and was curious and of course all the locals were very curious um, so it became and they also were driving up and down the strip in their car um, listening to it and testing the range for me and um, people got very excited about just how, what kind of range it had and so I'd you know they people would invite me to their place because they had really good cliffs that would kind of overlook the mainland and then I, I did that on one occasion they had some relative that was something like 60 miles down the coast that could pick it up you know and so so we were all very excited by that but I also on occasion would leave the 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 the, the, the um, mobile station you know transmitting at a location and map it out and which meant doing all kinds of bushwhacking and, and, and following shorelines and things so it it the uh, just the kind of making visible this invisible you know um parameter was uh was an interesting means by you know of of uh, m you know of of kind of it's kind of like a uh, conceptual drawing on the land you know and so so yes so this is a little bit this is in line th with that and that we're using radio or transmission in a way that people don't really think of it you know i mean you know we, you know these wireless you know 
like again invisible talk one installation is talking in you know to another installation um without any wires <laughs> i like that you know um maybe that's why i'm drawn to the also to the idea of uh, having solar powered you know remote loca remotely located um installations because i do work with ele electricity but i I, I like the idea of being severed from the, the even conceptually, you know, the the, bo the bonds that, that keep you tied to certain content or, or you know, activities. Well, what is it about isolated places that attract you? What is it? What is it? About, what, what draws you to those places? They, is it something different in the, your experience of the place that and artistic things or aesthetic experiences? Well, uh, yes, certainly. Um, I think it's that. Um, um, you one is forced to improvise in in isolated in isolated locations. There aren't kind of uh, you're in a city. If you're showing an an, a, an installation in a gallery, there's all kinds of you know um, uh, uh, conventions in a way that you fall into without even realizing it. That oh well, that's what you do when you have a gallery installation. You do all these things. You know you know the white walls, the white cube, the white you know, plinths, you know, whatever it is, the, 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 and when you're, when you're in doing something like that out in, out in remote locations, you don't have that infrastructure, you don't have, you, you, you have to, um, uh, you're not bound to, to conventions, you, you know, in a way you're, you're, um, you, you uh, are, in a way you're freed up to do, to, to make everything from scratch, as it were. I think I think it's a certain liberty and uh, and and an invitation to improvise. What about from the uh, public's point of view? How is it different? Um, well, I think people are surprised <laughs> when they come across something like that out in the middle of nowhere. I think there's. Um, I like to offer um, something, you know. Startling and, and and challenging to to my audience, I, uh, you know, and 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 pleasing, you know, visually and sonically pleasing. You take something out of the the, the place where people are are expected to experience something, then then they are challenged to um, observe it in, in a different way. Like if you go to a gallery, then you you know you're you're gonna you're prepared to see something that you know that is. <laughs> that you kind of people you know will, will associate with art you know <laughs> uh, but when you see the same thing in the outside of the gallery um, uh, then um, people people uh, it forces people to question what it is they're experiencing a bit more I think um, um, you know again like the Museum of the Flat Earth which forces people to question what the gallery what the museum is presenting presenting something outside of the museum altogether also forces people to question what it is they're experiencing also reaches people that wouldn't have come to the gallery, I guess. Yes, exactly. There's a kind of a, you know, there's the, a lot of places I've I've shown in, you know, the same audience comes out to everything, whereas whereas if you take, you know, um, I've always been interested in some of the, the um, early performance art work in the, the early 70s where people were, were quite, you know, uh, they were guerrilla performances, and and they they per, per were um, performed to unsuspecting audiences in in um, public locations. I that I always thought was, um, um, you know, well, it was you know when they were even trying to def dis d define for themselves and for others what performance art was, it was it was more of a departure from, 
you know, from theater, you know, you know, when you were doing s things like that, it was so, it was, it was easier to kind of define, you know, um, performance art as, as distinct from, from more conventional forms of performance. So, and, and I also, I mean, I, you know, I think a lot of, and certainly I am, I, I like blurring boundaries um, anyway, always, and um, uh, it's performance is, is part of everything I do also. Um, so uh, the fact that the, the, these the Songs of Ice actually needs, at least the outside part of it, needs people to actually come and play it for it to actually come alive. I, 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 like, I, I like to invite the audience to actually play with things that, the things that that I put out there so that they can they can they can discover it for themselves discover things that I haven't discovered yet you know um, do, you, do you find resistance sometimes when there's a, a lot of um, uh, responsibility on the audience member to create things to make creative decisions or do you find that that is actually um, more liberating uh, for them yeah <laughs> that's interesting I think um, I think it depends on the audience. Um, in general, children love to be able to play with things. You know, <laughs> you know um, adults are they're more reticent in general. Generally speaking, although that that it changes, it varies from um, you know person to person. Um, I uh, <clears throat> did a, an installation at the uh, the Rooms Museum in in, in Newfoundland back in. Um, 2014 and I created a radio station inside of the gallery and it was kind of my kind of fantasy radio station I kind of imagined this thing in a treehouse somewhere but it was actually in, in a gallery it was a room that you walk into and it had it had a turntable it had it had cassette players it had it even had you know um, eight track players and um, and uh, um, CD players, and um, uh, it, um, I even had things like tone generators and, and, <laughs> and things that people could play with. Uh, a huge '70s style console, you know, so, you know, with knobs to, you know, bring in. Um, there's microphones, of course, too, and um, and tons of vinyl, tons of cassettes, tons of like all the stuff that people could just select and play. They could talk on the radio. They could make. They could. They could. Um, they could make sound on it to I mean they could they could perform if they wanted and um, then it, it, this was broadcast um, uh, on a fairly small transmitter that was <coughs> that people people could then also take radios and wander around the the space of the rooms and, um, listening to what was being broadcast and um, so the whole thing was really an invitation for other people to do to make to make radio you know to to play with the medium the way I played with play with radio and um, people did like that, but especially the children, the school groups that would come, it was like a, they had to limit the, ch the kids to um, something like, you know, three or four at a time because they would just, they just couldn't contain them. They were so excited to play, you know, the, this thing is they drawn into, <laughs> into this space. And again, like a lot of things I have, I do have a little kind of possibly cheesy components to a lot of my installations where, but you know, but just to make things very inviting, it has kind of disco style lighting and uh, <laughs> and and few, you know. Um, but I, I like doing things like that in my installations. I like them. I like them to be warm and inviting, you know, um, 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 rather than these kind of cold, you know, um, kind of objects, you know, of 
conceptualism. <laughs> so I always do have things like that. And the fact that there was tons of vinyl, you know, you know, there, you know, there for people to peruse, you know, it, it, it does have quite a broad appeal, that kind of thing. So people probably didn't even realize that it was art. They were, it's more like going into this kind of, kind of weird, almost a relic from the seventies kind of, you know, record store where you could actually, you know, play everything, anything you wanted. Um, um, and there were lots of older people too that loved going in there and looking at all the old technology and re you know reminiscing too, um, mm -hmm. and uh, and 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 kind of youths also that there because you know it's kind of there's been a bit of a revival of some of that stuff so they were actually intrigued by seeing s such a collection of it in one place so that's just an example I mean uh, of how you know people don't. Um, to people, I think generally people, if you can invite people, you know, make a warm and inviting environment, people don't mind um, playing with, um, you know, coming in and actually interacting with the works, you know, not in my mind. It seems that what you're, in a sense, creating with that is also the social dimension of radio, that it's not just voices. Uh, coming out uh, of the speaker, but that there, there those voices exist in rooms with activity and uh, objects and things that can be touched and moved and, and, and such. Um, so, um, and giving people that chance to live that experience seems to broaden what radio actually is, 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 is about that, that um, act of making and, and uh, and negotiating with uh, tools. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, a radio, you know, is is so intimate, really. You, when you listen to it, you 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 could be, you know, imagine the person on the other end in your own kitchen, you know, t chatting with you or whatever. And I and it is a, it is a social, you know. Uh, I mean, you know, you could be separate from the other person, but it has the same feeling of of social interaction very much. So. Um, and certainly it does with my my radio show, the Manless Carcano Radio Hour, because I'm it's old friends that have been to get together every week, and and we start by chatting, but and it kind of morphs into abstract sounds. But it's, but after two hours, we come back to our chatting. It's almost like an, a, a kind of conversation amongst close friends that has gotten so intimate that it's transcended the actual actual language, and it's just become you know abstract sounds. You know, um, um, and certainly I've. I has been. And, uh, a, I have a background as a visual artist, but I've been always been interested in sound art, you know, and sound and uh, improvising with sound. And I've always kind of divided the two between my visual art practice, which is quite solitary and uh, individual, um, and my my sound art, which is social. Always. I mean, I I really don't get any pleasure improvising sound son sonically uh, alone. And it's really the the interaction with others, the conversation that happens, um, that that uh, drives my 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 sound art and and my radio <coughs> work. Um, so I, I kind of you know kind of see these things. I mean, I think these things are. I've philosophers have talked about vision as a as a kind of a distancing you know. Um, sense you know you you view objects from a distance and they stay in place but sound is something that's always moving and it's more social you, um, it depends upon listening for that matter you know which means you can't always be sounding <laughs> um, um, and 
And so it, it demands, you know, a sensitivity to the social dynamic. Um, and uh, I, I think very much about that in, in my sound and my radio work. And I, I guess the last time I saw her was, um, uh, well, when was it now? My, uh, Mrs. Hall and I were in Winnipeg in the fall, and she remembered us. Um, and uh, she was still her typical, I mean, in a way, you know, oh, there's Christ again. Uh, uh, so, but I think she's losing her memory. I, I'm, I'm hoping to see her in a couple months' time. Thank <laughs> you. 
Christ. I see your icon. <laughs> Nobody joined you in LA either, I guess, eh? It's actually not far from where you're from your home from your hometown, you know. You you're from you're from North Bay, right? Or Sudbury? I'm from Sudbury. Oh well we're pretty close to North Bay here in uh, South River. In, in case I don't see you or, you know your battery dies, it's great jamming with you again, Christ.
been listening to Making Waves on WGXC Wayfarm. My name is Darren Copeland and uh, we've been uh, hearing uh, my discussion with Michael Waterman about the Songs of Ice exhibition and uh, throughout that we've heard uh, Art's Birthday performance by Manlisher Kirkano and uh, we'll be back uh, next month with more from the Deep Wireless Festival which is uh, taking place at the Nason North Media Arts Centre in South River. probably wrap things up now. We've got a little taste of my fabulousness. Yeah, oh yes, now that we've got a taste of your fabulousness. <laughs> All is lost for lack of fabulousness. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> So uh, uh, nobody in else in LA was free. Kenneth Friendliness is still. You said he was going to be up in the Bay Area still. Yeah. Yeah. Right. He's, I don't know when he's 
He's going to be back this weekend at some point. Okay. Well, I don't think, we're, well, I won't be able to do a jam tomorrow, and I think this was in lieu of one. But uh, next week I'll be back in, uh, at home in Ottawa, and we'll be back to our regular uh, uh, weekly show. Um, and w the recording of today's show I'll, I'll send in for next week's show uh, to be broadcast. Okay, do you want me to send what I recorded? Sure, you could send it to me and I, I'm, I'll try to mix it in. I, I won't be able to do that till I get back to Ottawa, but I'll do that sometime next, you know, early next week. Or you can send me what you recorded and I'll... Yeah, you can download it from the NASA site if you want. It's, uh, it, that'd be the easiest. Uh, New Adventures in Sound Art. What's the site? It's not actually archived yet, but um, uh, I, I, think I think we'll work on it and I'll let you know. Well, I'll send you a link when, when it's up, okay? Okay, do they send, is that who sends out the, that newsletter? Yeah, do you get the Email. newsletter? Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, I'm on that list. You are? Excellent. Yeah, um, I did, a, I, I did a, a residency back in 2011 here at NASA. That was when they were in Toronto, but now we're, um, at, they've moved to South River, which is near North Bay. So it's, uh, it's I actually responded to a call for off the beaten track because I was going to do my uh, pirate radio piece here. Um, but then at just about the time that I put in the proposal, my life changed because we did, we decided we realized we were moving to Ottawa. So, so in the end, the the only thing that's left of the pirate radio installation is the dome, the geodesic dome. Ice, ice radio. I yeah, exactly. It's it's got there's two parts to the. Uh, installation there's the outdoor ice kind of percussion instrument made with ice bars inside of the dome and then the inside there's um, uh, frozen IV bags that are suspended over contact mic mix mixing bowls and as the I IV bags melt they drip onto the contact mics and there's like an eight, chan eight channel surround sound I saw the uh, image of that on the on uh, Art's birthday, you've got a sequence of the photos rotating. Oh, oh I, I didn't see that yet, but that's excellent. Good. I saw those bowls, that was nice. Right. Do you remember the performance we did um, the day the first Gulf War broke out in uh, oh, yeah. Plug-In Gallery? Yeah. We used mixing bowls for that, too. I remember, uh, I think... I think it was, um, uh, oh, what's his name? The sound art guy from Winnipeg. Uh, Ken Gregory? Ken Gregory lent us his mixing bowls and we kind of uh, damaged them in our exuberance. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> detuned them. We detuned them, that's for sure, at least one. <laughs> it was a nice performance, as I recall, though. Yeah, he recorded it for us too, and I really, 
the best sound recording we've had up until that point. Yeah, no kidding. Do we have a record? Do you have a recording of that still? Yeah, yeah. It was what? on one of our cassettes. Was it? In its entirety, I think. Cool. Yeah, it's nice. It's a it's war in the Gulf. Right. War. That's how it started. Yeah, yeah. Nice. As I recall, it was about 20 or 30 minutes long, and it started with all the radios blasting the announcement, because it started the moment the war started, um, because it was a timed start, right? Um, but then it gradually developed. We turned off the radios and just went acoustic and ended it with a very kind of meditative, bell-like conclusion. Then we smashed all those bottles. <laughs> oh, yeah. Was that that performance? Yeah, yeah, oh, like, later on, there was a, just yeah. a, it was a, a typical, uh, you know, uh, um, student Bolshevik, Bolshevik uh, uh, chaos ensued. <laughs> I remember huge j leaps jumping across the gallery. Do you remember, um, um, you probably, I know, I remember Zina uh, Sikowski was, uh, was extremely gymnastic. <laughs> well, she was pretty young then. Still a teenager. Yep. Well, I should uh, wrap up. This is a kid now, George. She, I, I've, you know, I'm Facebook friends with her. She's in Chicago. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't, I'm, I don't, not that close with at all, but I do occasionally see what's up. Yeah, I haven't seen them for ages. Right. I get. Wayne Littlejohn's posts all the time. Yeah, yeah, me too. I don't know what... He's in town. Yeah. But um, I guess Facebook has decided that he and I are really close <laughs> because they, it gives me all his posts. I think it's because my posts are art-related and whenever anybody posts anything art-related, it kind of moves to the top of the... Algorithm. Anyway, have a good week. I guess Facebook has some. 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 Was that, what was that? Is that? I don't know. Okay. Um. Okay. Bye. Have fun. Thanks. See you next week. Stay frosty.